So I do have to start out with a little bit of a joke, just to, you know, they, they say you got to do that, right, when you start talking. Uh, so this morning when I got here, uh, and I was just in my prayer time, and uh, getting, uh, going through my notes, reading through my notes, my friend Eric here from Bethel, uh, he, he came in and he said, hey Mike, he's like, are you, are you speaking today? I said, yeah. He's like, what are you speaking on? And I said, well, I'm speaking on uh, Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to kind of focus a little more on chapter 3. And he said, hey, Mike, do you know who the shortest person in the Bible was? And I said, I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking Zacchaeus, right? And he says, no, it's Nehemiah. <laughs> but there is somebody shorter. Who is it, Eric? Bill Dad the shoe height. That's right. That's right. A little, a little less known. So if you, uh, if you guys are wondering any any kind of uh, idea of where this uh, message is going, that should give you a little bit uh, of a direction. We have been in the book of Nehemiah uh, over the last few weeks, uh, specifically focusing on chapters one and two. Uh, today I'm going to hope to take us from two into chapter 3 a little bit, but one of the questions that Dave has been asking us comes from uh, Nehemiah 1 verse 4. If you have your Bibles today, I would just ask you to, to kind of open up to the, the beginning of Nehemiah. We're going to be spending some time in there today. Um, but Nehemiah 1 verse 4 says, um, when, I hear, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Dave has been asking this church, what about our culture, our community, our church, what has caused you to weep recently? When's the last time that you have wept over the condition of things in our world? That's the question that he's been asking. So that's the question that I've been asking myself this week. And uh, as I've been studying Nehemiah, um, Jen and I, a, a few nights ago, we, we went to this movie, The Sounds of Freedom. If you have not been to see this movie, I would highly recommend that you go and pay for somebody else to go as well. Because what that movie is about is something that causes me to weep. What that movie is about is something that causes me to mourn and have a very, very heavy heart. And as I sat there watching that movie the other night, I could not help but think of the similarities between that man and Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah, uh, as, as we catch up to him, uh, in, 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 this, uh, in chapter 1 here, he is working as a servant to a king of another nation. He's a, he's a cupbearer. And although that was a pretty good role to fill, the, the reality was he was a servant. He didn't have resources. He didn't have authority. He didn't really have much ability to do anything. And when he hears the condition of Jerusalem and, and what's going on there, he's cut to the heart and, and a seed is planted in, that, in him in that moment. He needs to do something. 
So he starts to pray. He, 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 he fasts. He, and, and God knows, I am going to take this person right here. What starts with, with weeping and, and concern uh, will eventually lead to the rebuilding of an entire city. I would submit to you that, that there's some of you in this room today that there's things that, that cause you to weep. There's things that are heavy on your heart. Uh, but as you sit back, you sit and think, I don't have the resources. I'm too small. I'm too, uh, I don't have the money. I don't have the ability. I don't have anything that it takes to make this happen. But as we see, as we, as we continue through the book of Nehemiah, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to focus, we're going to kind of just cherry pick some verses here about things that happened that, that, that caused this to happen, that caused this city to get rebuilt. And it's very similar to what I saw this man, uh, uh, what was his name, Timothy or Tim? I um, can't remember. Yeah, Tim, okay. Uh, what's that? Tim Ballard, yeah. So this Tim Ballard, uh, you know, he was working in a specific job. And I don't think I'm going to ruin the movie for anybody. But he, he's working in a specific job, and, and he comes across this kid. He comes across this situation. He comes across this thing that causes him to weep. And he knows that he's got to do more, but he doesn't know how to do it. He, he's compelled to do something more, but the organization that he works for uh, and, and, and where he's at are, are, are things that would limit him from going and doing these things. But he knows that he's called to do it. What I love about this story is he says, I don't care what the limitations are. I don't care if I don't have the resources. I don't care if I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this goal, but I'm going to go and do it anyway. So he flies to this other country and it's really interesting to see how God just continues to put the right people, the right resources, and the right things into his path so that he can start to battle this evil. You know, he, he even leaves his job and he goes off to do this thing. That's what I love about Nehemiah. You know, Dave's, like I said, Dave's been asking the question what causes you to weep? Uh, so I want to try to answer the question today, what's our response? What are we going to do about it? One quote, if you've been to a Bible study that I've ever been to, or ever heard me, I'm sure I've said this multiple times in here, but one of my favorite quotes is that all that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. We cannot afford to sit in the pews, sit in our, our couches, watching what's happening in this world, and refuse to stand up and say, I'm going to do something about this. My desire today is that we don't just sit and hear about things that are going on in our world. Every single one of us knows our culture is in chaos. Our culture is in chaos and and we can either sit back and be like, this is horrible, this is really bad stuff, or we can choose to say, I'm going to get into this and I am going to uh, be a part of the solution. That's my hope today. And that was Nehemiah's hope, 
And we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But that was Nehemiah's hope as he traveled. He didn't know who was going to help build the wall. He didn't know who, who was going to, to, to step up. He didn't have the resources. He didn't have any of that stuff. But he went anyway. So, as I started to look into things, I had to first ask myself the question, what happened to these walls? Why were they destroyed in the first place? What, what, what caused this problem to happen? And so, you know, I, I, I started to research into it a little bit. It takes you to, to 2 Kings 25. 2 Kings 25 uh, I don't know if it's up there, but it says, On the seventh day of the fifth month of the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, King Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the Imperial Guard, uh, an official king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylon army was under the commander of the Imperial Guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. So now you could point to that and say, well, that's what happened. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you, you understand that that's the result of what happened before. So you, if you go back a little bit uh, further in 2 Kings, uh, 2 Kings 21, 2, verse, uh, 2 to 3, it says, and this, this is a new king over Israel. Right there, there were multiple new kings go, coming over Israel all the time, and it says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations of the Lord he had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, uh, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. That's not the only king that did that. As you go from chapter 21 all the way to chapter 25, there's about seven or eight different kings that all did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Over and over and over again. And, and when you look into Baal worship, and you look into... Uh, the, the worship of Asherah and, and some of these other things, what you find is a lot of sexual perversion and you find a lot of child sacrifice. You find uh, very little value on life as it is. It's a lot of not good stuff. But what I would also submit to you is that as you look around our culture and you look around uh, you just watch TV. You, you see what's going on in this world. Uh, that's the same things that we're seeing. There's a lot of perversion. There's a lot of uh, crazy stuff. We're, we're, we're battling on whether or not it's okay to kill babies. It's the world we live in. It breaks my heart. So let's look into Nehemiah. Obviously, uh, Nehemiah 1, verse 4. Let's just put that up there again. Nehemiah 1, verse 4. 
It says, when he heard these things, he sat down and he wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He was first cut to the heart, but then he took time to fast and pray. There are things going on in your life right now. There are things going on in this world. I, I would ask you, first off, have you begun by fasting and praying? That was Nehemiah's first step. That is what led to God responding in an amazing way. He fasted and he prayed. Move down to uh, Nehemiah 1 verse 6. I think that this verse right here shows a lot because I tend to be the type of person where I can put the blame and everything on everybody else. And I can say, well, look what's happening over there. And those people are really bad. And this is really bad. The reason that I wanted to focus on uh, the, 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 the kings and, and stuff that did evil in the eyes of the Lord is because the next thing that Nehemiah does is he says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. The people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. He's taking ownership. He's taking extreme ownership. We've caused this problem. We've caused this problem. It's our responsibility to, to, to take it, to own it, to repent of it, to repent of where we're at, and, uh, and then to go out and do something about it. One of the things that as you get into chapter uh, 3, which, which we'll point out here in just a few minutes, is these people are living amongst the rubble. They've just grown accustomed to it. Right? They, 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 they've grown to just accept it, that this is what it is, uh, the walls have been destroyed, the places have been burned down, and we just live amongst this. What, what, what have we gotten comfortable living amongst in our culture? There, there, there's things, like I said, again, I, 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 full confession, repentance, whatever you want to call it, I do spend a little time on social media, and I probably shouldn't, but there are so many things that I see on social media that I just scroll past and I'm just like, oh, well, that's, that's, that's not me, but that's our culture. And, that's, and it's just stuff that we slowly start to accept. And culture just continues to push down another block from the walls of morality. And push down another block from the walls of morality. To the point of where uh, we even have people in this nation right now that are arguing for pedophilia. How, how have we gotten to a place where we have slowly gotten so comfortable that we just keep pushing back and pushing back and pushing back and this conversation is even happening in a rational way? As Christians, we need to stand up. We need to stand strong. We need to come back to what the Bible says as far as morality and the pursuit of holiness. Uh, Nehemiah uh, 1 verse 9. He goes back to Scripture from Deuteronomy. Okay? So he, he says, he says uh, Lord, but if you return to me... So, so he's, 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 he's reminding God, 
in his prayer to God, he's like, this is what you said. If you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the farthest, on the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling in my name. And then I think that we have that scripture from Deuteronomy 30. This is what Nehemiah is praying. He's right here in Deuteronomy 30 at 4. It says, Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Nehemiah knows his word. He knows what God's promise is. He knows what God's truth is. So after he has fasted and prayed, he's repented of, of their sins. Now he's coming back to Scripture and saying, God, this is what you said that you would do. If we repent, if we pray, if we come back to you, you said you would gather us back. So he's, 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 he's bringing it back to God in his prayer, and, and God's looking down and going, my man gets it. How often are we in God's Word looking for His truth about our situation? Admittedly, I will tell you that oftentimes when I'm in a bad situation, number one, I get mad. Number one, I blame, or number two, I blame other people. Number three, I go to other people, maybe experts in the field or something like that, to try to fix my problem. When if I would have just stopped, fasted, and prayed, repented of my, my involvement in the situation, and then got into the Word to, to see what, what does God want in this situation. My wife drives me nuts sometimes because when, when, when I'm in a difficult situation, she'll say like something like, well, what's God telling you? I'll be like, well, I haven't, I haven't sat there and, and took time to, to, to listen. Well, why not? Why not? Because I could save myself a whole lot of time and problems if I would just spend a little time hearing from the Lord, getting into the Word and finding out what direction He wants me to go with this situation. Next, Nehemiah 2, verse 2. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? Uh, why are you not, why are you not uh, when you are not ill? Uh, this cannot be nothing but sadness of heart. And he was very much afraid. Like I said before, Nehemiah was a servant. And he's standing before this king that has nothing to do with his God. And this king is noticing, hey, you're sad. You're, you're down about something. What's going on? And Nehemiah, very much afraid told him what the problem was. Sometimes we need to push through fear. Sometimes we need to push through that, 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 that cap of fear that's trying to keep us down. I think that sometimes I get right up to that threshold of fear and that asking or, or, or that, 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 that next step. And oh man, once I throw this out there, I'm really out there. I'm really committed. And Nehemiah had to push through that level of fear to be fully committed. And when he pushed through that fear level, this king that, uh, of Persia that does not consider himself underneath the, the, the God that, uh, that Nehemiah is under, this king immediately responds and says, how, how much time do you need? What, what, what kind of things, uh, what, what kind of resources are you going to need? God is providing 
the opportunity and the resources through a king that's not even uh, beholden to him. Do you guys understand that? God is using the, 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 the resources and the authority uh, of another king that doesn't actually understand that he's under God too. God is using him to provide the resources and the opportunity for Nehemiah to do this. And Nehemiah goes a, a step further and says, well, hey, uh, okay, if you're going to give me the, all that stuff, uh, then, uh, then I'm going to need letters to the guy who's going to provide the, the, the timber. I'm going to need letters to the people that are going to provide this. And the king's like, here it all is. Here you go. Go and do what you're called to do. Nehemiah pushes through that fear level, and he heads on. Next, Nehemiah uh, 2, verse 12. Nehemiah 2, verse 12. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts, which means horses, with me except the one I was riding on. Uh, he pushes through. He doesn't have the plan altogether. He hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't uh, proposed the vision to anybody. He just knows what he's called to go do. And he goes and he does it. Uh, let's go on to uh, Nehemiah uh, 2, verse 18. After he shared the vision with them, um, oh, I'm sorry, that's 17. Um, then, then he said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild. He shares the vision, and then in 18, the people are like, yeah, let's do it. Right? Almost like it didn't cross their mind. Let's, re let's rebuild this thing. And it, it took one person with passion, with vision, to say, hey, we're going to do this thing. Let's get in this together. Let's rebuild this city together. Let's rebuild this culture together. And the people jumped right in. What I love about the next few verses um, is that Nehemiah didn't do much of the building himself. But who did he call upon? Uh, let's see. Uh, Nehemiah 3 verse 1. The priests were getting into the game. These guys are priests. Right? Normally, these guys should be the ones getting served and doing, you know, they need to be at the temple and everything. These guys are building. The next one, 3 verse 2. I love this. Nehemiah 3 verse 2. It's the men of Jericho. The men of Jericho. Right? Let's, let's try to remember back a little ways when the walls of Jericho got destroyed. And now these guys are rebuilding God's walls. God is using that. And when, when I looked into that this week, they were literally rebuilding the wall portion of Jerusalem that was in full sight of where the city of Jericho was. These guys are building there. The next one, uh, 3 verse 8. Uh, you've got goldsmiths, perfume makers, uh, the point that I'm trying to make is that the people that were rebuilding this wall were not builders. Right? If, if we were to do a building project in this church, right, we, we know we'd call Dan Ralia, we'd, we'd, we'd call you know, you know, Chris back there, we'd, we'd call people that are like skilled craftsmen. When Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, he called people and they started building the wall right where they were at. Some people were building gates. Some people were building walls. Some people were uh, you know, rebuilding houses and doing different things like that. But everybody stepped up and everybody got involved. 
There's even one verse, uh, I think maybe it's the next one, uh, where, uh, yep, so you got this guy right here, the, the ruler, so he's a, he's, a, he's a man of distinction, the ruler of the half district of Jerusalem repaired the next section with the help of his daughters, right? This wasn't just a guy's thing, the help of the daughters. The daughters are lifting rocks and they're building this stuff together. Everybody in the church or everybody in, in the culture got together to start rebuilding, The problem with rebuilding is that often people don't want you to rebuild. There's going to be opposition. They received a ton of opposition, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week uh, in, in chapter 4. Uh, but we receive that same opposition in our culture. You know, uh, th- th- there's a, a, a lot of things that, that, that I see again on social media. Um, I think I'm like coming out in front of all of you guys, realizing I've got a little bit of a problem here. Uh, a friend of mine from college recently posted uh, that uh, heaven has no gates. There are no gates to heaven. And, and I think that that's a popular mindset from our culture right now, because what that's really expressing is you can do whatever you want and you can still go to heaven. It's, it's, it's this real sloppy grace that literally wipes its feet on Jesus' sacrifice. There, 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 there's no gates. There's no walls. There's, there, there, there's no bar that's been set. That's what culture wants to say. And, and when we try to rebuild the, the, the walls of morality, when we try to rebuild uh, the, the walls of Christianity in this nation, I want you to know that these are not walls to keep people out. Everybody is absolutely welcome, but there is a process of entry. That's why they were building not only walls, but they were building gates. They were building places of entry because it's about order in the midst of chaos. When there are no walls, there's only chaos. There's an appropriate way of doing things. And when we rebuild those walls, it meets what Matthew 7, 13, 14, uh, 7, 13, 14 says. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the, the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That verse alone tells me that heaven's got some walls and some, some ways of entry. Everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. But there is a way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. The Bible is very clear that there is a gate and that it is very narrow and that is how we enter into heaven. This world wants you to believe there's no walls. There's no rules. There's nothing. We can just throw all of that stuff off. That's a lie. That is a lie. And when we as Christians sit complacent and allow those kind of things to to keep pushing back on culture, you know, we'll we'll use words, culture will use words that sound really good, like inclusivity and different things like that. I heard recently of a church uh, that in in the spirit of inclusivity, uh, that when they're not using the church, they're allowing the local church of Satan uh, to use their... uh, to use their place because they're trying to be inclusive to the community. 
And there's a million other examples. When I watched that movie this week, I walked out of that theater and I, I was shaking. I was shaking because I knew of the evil that was happening out there in the world somewhere, and I'm going to go get into my comfortable car, drive to my comfortable house, probably get a snack out of the pantry, probably sit on the couch and throw on some social media, while I know that this is what's happening to millions of little kids all around the world right now. But not only that, there's other horrible, evil things happening all around our planet right now. And, and I, would, I would just suggest that we as Christians, it, it, it's time to stop sitting in the stands. It's time to step up, to stand up. Is there something that God is laying on your heart that you're like, you know what, this is horrible. And, and even though you may not feel like maybe, maybe you're not the power person to do this, Nehemiah certainly wasn't. But he changed, he changed uh, Jerusalem forever by responding to what God put on his heart. God is putting things on your heart that he wants you to change. I, I know some of the stories of some of you in, in this room, and I know what God's put on your heart and the things that you have done to, to try to, uh, to push through those things. I would say to you, don't let the steam go out. Keep pushing. Keep looking for resources. Keep looking for those open doors. Keep pushing. We build this community, Zealand, together as a church. We build further beyond that uh, as a community together, but it's going to take every single person. My favorite Bible verse, and this is what I'll end on, is Ephesians 2.10. It says that you're a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God established in advance for you to do. Every single one of you has good works that God has established in advance for you to do. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're unsettled or you're feeling like, oh, yeah, you know, it's probably because you're not stepping into those good works that, you're, that, that you are to do. And, and you're focused on the distractions of life, uh, the people you're not getting along with, the things that aren't going your way, uh, you know, the, the resources that you don't have. These are all my excuses that I throw out there and make me angry all the time and go, well, God isn't, God's not helping me. God is helping you. He's pushing you through, but everything is in His time. So I would encourage you to just take time this week and really focus on what is God calling you to do. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray, Lord, as, as we look at the broken down walls of our culture, as we look at the, 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 the moral decay uh, of our world, Lord, I pray that, that you would place things on our heart to do. Lord, uh, compel us to, to walk through, to ask questions, to get connected. Uh, Lord, to find ways uh, to be used. And Lord, I pray that you would do mighty and amazing things through every single person sitting in this room. Uh, Lord, not only on behalf of Zealand, but on in behalf of Michigan and beyond. And uh, Lord, that, uh, that this church would have uh, uh, just, just amazing uh, results and testimonies to, to show from it. So Father, I pray your blessing upon us as we look to what section of the wall that we need to be rebuilding in our culture. In Jesus' name. Amen.